Welcome back to the fire drill. Uh, this Sunday, not a lot of golf going on, but we still knocked out a hour long podcast. It goes on uh, derailments, which I love, which I really love. But it started. They're serious. They're funny. Um, we obviously started with a match: Tiger Woods, uh, Jordan, Charles Barkley, and what he adds. Um, Michael didn't even know the match had happened, and but he adds a lot to it too about his thoughts about uh, Tiger Woods' place in the game and those kind of things. We talk about Grant Wall. Uh, Alan talked to him before he went to the World Cup for about an hour. Um, about a bunch of things, and they had worked together uh, a long time, all three of them at uh, Sports Illustrated and his place in the journalistic world and um, just how sad it, it all is. Um, and then we talked about, we, we went on a tangent about uh, the movie Straight Out of Compton, and I'm not going to add anything to it except to just, I promise, it's towards the end. I promise it is worth the time to stay. Uh, Alan and Michael. Uh, went to the movie, and that's all I'm going to add because the details of it, of them going, is just well worth the wait. Is almost nothing to do with golf, except that uh, we tie it into Alan and Phil Mickelson, which I think was a great uh, comparison. It really is uh, in a, a very microcosmic uh, a look into what it is to be a journalist sending out a story that, that you know is going to kind of disrupt the golf world. Um, before we uh, send it off, I want to do a few things. Uh, first of all, our sponsors, Par Points, go make par, download the app. Uh, it's a great way to keep scoring. Uh, it's awesome. You should try it. Once you try it, you'll be hooked. Uh, par Points app, Android or Apple, go get it. Um, and then Dormy Workshop, awesome club covers. I just have to say artisanal now because I get tweets about using the words artisanal now. Um, so I have to use it. Artisanal uh, club covers, putter covers, really awesome. Uh, go check them out. And then uh, before we get into the pod, uh, a couple of house cleaning uh, things that we have to take care of. Nita Fourth is an awesome new podcast. Alan Michael, Jeff Ogilvy, and a mystery guest every week, um, sponsored by Echo. They have a great contest going on with Link Soul. Go to uh, our YouTube page, comment on the last um, Need a Fourth, and be entered in a chance to win $250 gift card from Link Soul. Brandel Chambly was the last guest. It was very good, very different side of Brandel that a lot of people uh, haven't seen. It's, a, it's different than the personality you see on TV. It was very cool. Him and Jeff talking about the U.S. Open. Really, really interesting. Um, go there. Check out our YouTube page. Lots of stuff besides the stuff I just mentioned. So subscribe there. Do that stuff. It helps us out. Um, there's Alpina stuff. There's uh, There'll be grind episodes on there. There's journeys. Need a fourth podcast. This podcast is on there. Jake's giving me the like, you got to cut this out. It's time to go. Uh, he's giving me the high sign. But please do all those things. It helps support what we're doing at Fire Pit. Um, thanks for listening. Without further ado, here's the three of us talking golf, mostly. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about.
Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa came early with Tiger Woods um, playing in the the match. Uh, you know, it was under the lights. It was on made for TV. What did you guys think of this spectacle? Did not know it was played until you just said it. <laughs> This is the rigorous preparation that we like for this podcast. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> Ryan, I, did you watch That is amazing. That is amazing. Um, Does he I not need to play in the father-son tournament first? What's the order here? That's no, no, well, no. that's on deck, you know, this coming week. We'll we'll Charlie Woods, the biggest star in golf by my calculations, will make his annual appearance. So but, true. Um he, he, all right, here's well, my take on it. Here's my yeah, take hear. on it. I also did not know it was on in the morning. Like I knew it was coming up, but I didn't know it was yesterday. But uh, I said to my wife as we were watching it, "Is like would I make any sort of special plans? Cancel anything to <laughs> to oh. like watch it? Of course not. But like, was it fine TV last night on a Saturday night where there's no college football or anything? Yeah, it was fine. It was great. I mean, it was it was fine." It wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was fun. I mean, it was something you just to have watch. To have, what else am I going to watch? Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. What, what, what time? What time did it come on for we East uh, Coast viewers? Seven eight o'clock. They heated up at seven, Michael. It was yeah. like an hour long pre pre them, and then an hour. And obviously, Tiger played pretty terrible. Um, and uh, it was. I mean, it had moments. Charles Barkley is by far the best part of the match. Uh, <laughs> it's every I mean, time. The, the, He's hilarious. The JT Barkley repartee, a, a little forced, but undeniably funny in spots. Like he had one great line. He's like, the next match is going to be Charles versus a, a plate of cheese fries. <laughs> like that, that was legit laugh out loud funny. And um, so, I mean, obviously Tiger was the focus, especially after he, he pulled out of the, the world challenge. And I thought it was weird. You know, he said he hadn't touched a club for two and a half weeks. I mean, we know that Tiger is a man of immense pride. And even though this has no meaning, he's still on very graphic public display. And I think it tells you how much he's fighting his body if he didn't prepare at all. I mean, uh, and he was, his play was very scratchy, especially the first five or six holes. And then he kind of found it a little bit and hit some shots, but, um, that to me is a red flag, you know, in this this ongoing question, like how much golf is Tiger Woods going to play? I mean, prime time national audience. He didn't. He didn't even. He didn't even hit a small bucket. So did did he say why he had not hit balls before? I'm I'm sure. I mean, I'm just assuming it's the the plantar fasciitis which knocked him out of the World Challenge. But no, he you know, he, he said Alan. He said what knocked him out of the uh, the the World Challenge was his inability to walk. I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that might have been a little hyperbolic what he what he said in the Hero World Challenge press conference. Like um because he was riding a cart last night. He presumably he could ride a cart from his front door to his practice facility in his backyard. Like there's if if the foot really didn't cause him any discomfort, why didn't he hit some balls? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't track as Tiger talking about his body and his injuries often is confounding and mysterious and contradictory. I think this is another example cuz like if if, if 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 walking is the issue, you can certainly hit some hit some balls on the range without doing much walking. So I don't know that 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 was that was a little mysterious. And you know, I've said it, and maybe you guys don't have the same feelings. Maybe you do. Uh, but but yesterday, like Tiger, is at least right now has become ty- uh, a ceremonial golfer at least in, in the short term. Hopefully not in long term, but right now he has. And I don't know if I said it on this podcast or a different one, but. Like I, 
we used to go to the senior event near us when I was a kid and my dad would always want to go watch Arnie, right? And Jack, and they both were like well past their prime by that time. And I always was like, what the hell is he doing? Like, who wants to go watch, you know, a guy shoot 76 on a pretty relatively easy golf course? And now I get it. Like, there was some like, yeah, I just like to watch Tiger play golf. I would, of course, I wish he would have played better. Uh, but I just like to see him out there. Uh, I, obviously, I wish he was better than I, who cares about yesterday. But just in general, I hope he can tee it up again. But I just it think it makes me think of the fact that he was important to that we were lucky to have him in our in the time that I grew up watching golf. I think that British Open was a big setback for him because I think he he prepared really hard for it. And I don't I mean, I swallowed the Kool-Aid, drank the Kool-Aid and and believed the hype. I thought he'd go out there and shoot four good scores. And of course, when he didn't, it just made you look at Tiger. You know, when that was over, it made you look at Tiger differently. To your comment, Ryan, Andy North told me a great story about Arnold Palmer that I can't remember the year of the tournament, but Arnold was saying is in his sixties now. He's well beyond contending on the senior tour, but he was playing really well at this senior event. And um, I guess the second round, you know, the the penultimate round, he comes to the eighteenth hole, island green, shallow green. It's an automatic layup for everyone. You can't hold it with anything more than about a nine iron. Arnie hits a good drive, and he pulls out like his three wood and the crowd murmurs and gets excited and he like rips one of course bounces over the green drops one hits like three in the water and he was and as north told it like arnie was on the edge of contention you know if he makes a birdie there he's like in 10th place or something he's got a chance it'd be huge for tv and uh, everyone's befuddled you know he makes like a 12 or something and afterwards off air because andy north was commenting he's like arnie what the fuck man yeah. and and palmer goes those people came to see Arnold Palmer, and I gave them Arnold Palmer. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> like, it's pretty it's great. Like, it was like, like I pictured like Clint Eastwood, you know, with a little yeah. sneer and the hat pulled low. I mean, it's ridiculous, and but it's funny, but it's also it's insightful. Like there's just, you know, the, Arnie had a role to play, and he embraced it. Um, you know, Jack Nicholas was more ambivalent about being a uh, quote-unquote ceremonial golfer. He always said he'd never be one, but then he did. And he's still hitting the first tee at the Masters. Like, he's actually grown comfortable with that. The, the, the question for Tiger is, will he embrace that role? And what is it going to look like? Or does he have, you know, so much pride and he still sticks to that, I'm not going to tee it up if I can't win, kind of ethos. Like, what are we going to see from Tiger going forward? That That's a big question. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, it, yeah, yesterday, for the first time, I felt like he was really a ceremonial golfer. I mean, it was it wasn't good golf. He was obviously in a lot of discomfort, and I just hope it's the planner stuff, and he can get back to. I mean, we've talked about it last week. It's just a couple of times, one more time in his career, even just be around, even near, so we can discuss whether it will ever happen again as nicholas says never ever 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 count out this tiger woods but i think he must know on some level that when he won that masters in 2019 it was a gift he played okay really uh and he squeezed one out and uh there's not going to be another one no that's 
that's depressing, but probably accurate. Um, and, and right, that that was we kind of thought the 2019 Masters that was it, like that was the gift. But then you get greedy, like, well, if he did it, then he could do it again. And uh, you know, if he gets a firm, fast links course, and he gets a good side of the draw, and you can talk yourself and all kinds of stuff. But after smashing up his foot, I mean, that it was. <laughs> oh, a I thought, oh, Alan, I thought you were going to say after smashing up that car. I mean. Yeah, that's well, what I was. Why well, you were saying that? I see. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that changed he drove the up cat. the side of the road, and we've been down this road before. His, yeah, I mean, by his own admission, his life changed that day. Yeah, well, that was a morbidly funny moment in the match where, because um, you know uh, Justin Thomas and George Heath are wearing shorts, so it led to the inevitable talk about calf muscles, and um, Tiger's like, "I got a good calf." Singular. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> it, was good. I, it, it went over Jordan's piece and a few other people's head in the moment, yeah. but it was it was funny. Um, but yeah, that's the reality. You know, uh, no one ever talks about his back anymore. Like that. That's what yeah. we thought was going to end. The back was a good part of his body. Yeah, <laughs> that's one functional part of his body. The fuse spine. How are you going to drive the golf ball anywhere with one good calf? <laughs> He's driving I mean, his, it pretty well, though. His ball speed was like. Up there with those guys yesterday, was it really? Yeah, yeah. no, his, you know, he he's got some he he's got some of his speed back, and he'd mentioned that in the Bahamas that he's gotten some speed back, and he, you know, he's not going to have the ball speed of Rory McIlroy, but he was up there with Spieth, and even you know threatened JT a few times. Like he's so physically strong in the upper body that it's like he can just jerk the club down through the hitting area with some speed, but um, you know, it's still, it's not the most efficient or possibly repeatable action, but he's, he's making it work. Um, but anyway, yeah. Who, who, who won the thing? <laughs> it wasn't Tiger. Um, yeah. They, they it wasn't I close. I, it wasn't close. The Tiger is a straight, straight better ball for the, what, 12 holes? No, yeah. well, uh, one club challenge. Yeah. The one club challenge, they, they played one hole every, and everyone got to choose which club and, it was chaos. It was anarchy. It was fun. Guys were in ball in crazy places, trying to bend it. Tiger, I think he played down the wrong fairway on purpose. I'm not even sure. Um, I thought it was going to be ridiculous, and then it turned out to be like really fun. I was like, oh, oh it was this cool. Is, no, I, this I is mean, stupid. Chaos in a good then, way. It was, it was totally fun. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, agreed. And, um, and so, Michael, when they played, you couldn't if uh, like – so uh, JT and Justin went first, and they got to choose their clubs, and you couldn't choose the clubs that they chose. So like those clubs were, you know, everyone had to use a different club. Yeah. yeah. Sounds too gimmicky for me, but quick aside, a four club tournament on the PJ tour would be super cool. That, that, oh yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the whole point of the, it, like Thomas made a really good par with his five wood to win the hole. And that was cool. Um, so four, four clubs and an opportunity for Jones bags. Are they a sponsor of ours? Jones, Jones golf. They, bags? Should, they should be, but not yet. Well, Perhaps they will become one. I'm a user. Uh, uh, but Jones bag, four clubs. Uh, what clubs are they going to be? And really manufacture shots for four straight days. That would be really cool to see. That would be cool. What would be What would be your four clubs? Well, you know, I play one every year. So it, uh, now it's a very short course. But I uh, driver, six iron, sandwich, putter. Because I can hood that six and turn it into a four and yeah, I would go driver putter for sure. Probably wedge, and then yeah, you gotta have like a. I would go eight iron maybe, maybe eight. But then, and I was I was almost gonna say driver hybrid. 
Ooh. like seven iron putter just because you can use a hybrid anything from 170 to 210 yeah, yeah. you're gonna you, if you you're in the wrong trap you're gonna have a hard time getting out with the seven iron that's true that's true unless you want to go yeah, you gotta have a wedge of some sort i mean you have i guess to. you gotta have a wedge that's yeah. fun that's a fun conversation yeah, and and by the way, and it would have been cool if Jay Monahan would have said, you know, we're going to spice things up here. We're going to have a pro am event, or not a pro am. We're going to have a mixed team event. We're going to have a four club event. We're going to have another kind of team event. Uh, you know, there was an opportunity there to do more than just bring in money. How about bringing fans? I know we've talked about this before, but really, the starting point for this whole reconfiguration of what the PGA Tour should be began with holding on to the players, making sure they get paid, but it should have been, it should have begun with us. What's going to make us watch? If it began with us watching, the money would come. Hmm. That's Very true. Well what are you going to say, Ryan? Uh, it's nothing to do with it. I have to know. Well, I mean, you weren't here uh, for the Michael lighting uh, conversation. Michael's lighting is different every week and wonderful this week. I don't know what it is. It's like a... <laughs> Chris, he's holding a flashlight, or, or we're not sure. But second of all, where's the baseball, Michael? I need the story on the baseball that you're holding. Well, just a ball. I don't know. Have I told this story on uh, Michael and I have spent a lot of time together, and we can, uh, we'll can we talk about it later of why, but le- of lately on the phone, in cars, at hotels, and uh, I'm driving we with We played Good Hollow as well. Yeah, Gold Hollow. Um, we're driving from uh alpina to cleveland and i'm with like one of the greater running or greatest writers of of our time we're not he's, doing that anymore. Has, we're not doing millions that millions of like his like just he he's interviewed talked to knows everybody and i say michael what's the most uh what's your what's the piece that you love the most just an article not a book or anything and i was like oh this is going to be about obama or trump or a million other people. And he says, uh, I once went and wrote an article about the Cincinnati Reds and they were like 40 games out. And I went to, <laughs> to, to uh, write about, you know, what professionalism meant and why they're still there. And I was like, I'm sitting on the edge story. of my seat and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and going like, Oh, there's going to be a guy who, you know, has cancer and he won the all-star game and you know, it's going to be an amazing story. And I go, yeah, what happened? And he's like, no, that's the story. And I was like, what? nothing, literally nothing happened. <laughs> nothing, yeah. That's what happened. Nothing. And I was like, and then I couldn't Thank find you. it. And Michael sent it to me. It's a great article. It's just like of all the stories that he's written books, the people he's Dude. met, it was just the last. Well, we were right we now. were in Cleveland. That may have sponsored. And you're nice. <laughs> you're nice to remember even the conversation, run. Alan, let's make a quick nod to our former. He, this is inadequate, but uh, uh, Alan and I worked for years with a uh, a wonderful colleague named Grant Wall. Many of you would know that. Anybody who follows soccer would would know the name. To, I don't even know how to describe what he is. What Roger Angel was to baseball, and what Herb Wind was to golf. Grant Wall was to. To, to soccer writing and uh, 48 or 9 he died in Qatar uh, covering the World Cup uh, just a tragic loss for his family and great person yeah Grant I mean it's it, we came up together at SI I mean I think we were hired the same year and same age so he came in 96 yeah you too Michael I mean you arrived at 95 right and um, right but you know, Grant, Grant and I were the same age, and we kind of progressed more or less at the same time. And 
we were never super close, but there was always a, he was a, he was a writing nerd like I am. So we would talk yeah. about stories and talk about yeah. journalism and just a wonderful uh, human being, just so kind and generous and a tremendous talent. I mean, he, he did college basketball for five or seven years before he did soccer and he was an incredible college basketball writer, but his, his first love was, was soccer. And that's, that's, you know, where he be, had, had this international yeah. influence and um, yeah, it, it's, I still can't believe it because right before he left for the world cup, I talked to him on the phone for at least 45 minutes. Uh, you wow. Know, he, yeah. It's, this, this year you did a month ago. If that, wow. and, well, because grant, you know, he spent the last three years, he left SI and he was, he was really a pioneer of in some ways for in, in the sports writing world for Substack. You know, he was one of the first kind of blue chip sports writers to go to Substack and, he'd done extremely well growing that audience. And um, so as, as here at the fire pit collective, as we've talked about different ways to reach readers, we've had conversations with Substack. So I wanted, I wanted Grant's take on it. And um, of course, turned into a wide ranging conversation about the old days at SI and various colleagues and what we're doing here at, at, at the collective. And he's very inquisitive, very, thoughtful dude so it was it was a i mean we both were like oh it's a busy day i got maybe 15 minutes and you know it's just we just kept going it was it was really fun and um so yeah it all of it is is so stunning up to including the fact like he was tweeting just you know minutes before he collapsed and and then that was like an emotional day and i got on this text thread with, with old si folks and um and i was reading some of the coverage and then I was I was curious what was was happening on social media. I went to Instagram and there's Grant's like Instagram story pops up. You know, he had just been putting out videos and and stuff. I mean, just I think it said eight hours earlier, and he, now he was gone. It was like so surreal. It was like having a ghost in your phone, and um, still trying to process the whole thing. Really, yeah. I I did not realize his wife was such an accomplished uh, a medical doctor. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Celine Grounder. So she um she's been in infectious disease expert for many years. And in fact, Grant did some great stories with Bill Walton. And one time I was talking to Bill Walton, uh, cause I was doing a UCLA USC basketball story and he was just happy to be in the arena. And that was when I was at sports illustrated. He's like, Oh, do you know Grant? I said, of course I know Grant. He's like, he's like, Grant's okay, but his wife's amazing. Like, you know, you know, she's like changing the world. And he, he went on this whole, you know, Bill Walton esque riff and, um, and so, yeah, in, in co- when, when COVID happened, um, Celine, she, she became a c- contributor on, on CNN and was, was incredibly well-spoken. She's on Biden's advisory council. Like she's, she's become a very important voice in all of this. And, and that was, and Grant was so proud of her and it was really cute to hear him talk about her because all three of us probably know like we have public jobs and people get jolly about what we do. And so whatever your significant other accomplishes in life, like we can all agree what Ryan's wife's work as a nurse was far more important than what we do. And like, I always say my only job is to give people something to read while they're on the throne. Like you got to have some perspective, but yeah, I'm sure people are more excited about Ryan's job than about Mrs. Monday Q's contributions to society. And so, it, but it was cute for Grant. Cause all, you know, he'd always been this acclaimed writer and all of a sudden his wife is like, famous and instead of him being whatever uh, competitive about it he was just so proud of her and that was a sweet element to their their whole story and of course it's it's part of the tragedy for they didn't you know get to say how, how nice for you on a very 
quiet kind of way to at least have a chance to have the, that one conversation. So recently, yeah. um, what, 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 what was the deal with him leaving SI? Well, it was just, you know, as, as you know, Michael, when we left, it was kind of similar timing. They were in very much in a um, cost cutting mode and, just it was like uh, every year lose 10 percent of the of the staff kind of thing and so yeah um and so i, I read was, was I, I don't know you you guys would know better than i obviously but i read that he spoke out about si cutting salaries uh during yeah. covid and and was gone soon after that so yeah um, yeah, well, so it, it got it. It's this is we're we're getting deep in the weeds here, but yeah, it actually turned it got messy because he wound up suing Sports Illustrated because some of their leadership had said some things about him in the press, and he won the settlement. So he actually came back and did a victory lap at SI and did I think the deal was as part of the settlement, he, he wrote a few more long form pieces, and so uh, he Grant got kind of a, a curtain call at Sports Illustrated, which was which was cool, but um, and yeah, I mean, he was a very passionate guy. Like he wore his heart on his sleeve and. I'm sure everyone. He wore his heart on his sleeve, and he wore the gay pride uh, T-shirt into the uh, stadium. There, uh, those who followed his life near the end uh, would know about that. Uh, just yeah. an extremely principled, fine person, and as as I would have known him. And Alan, tell me if I have this wrong. Just a paragon of of, of fitness, just slender. And- so this is an interesting undercurrent to all of this. Uh, you know, Grant's brother went on on uh, social media and and said. And so Grant had worn to the first game this it's a rainbow t-shirt that had a soccer ball and and he got detained by security because we all know uh, Cutter is not really an open society that's tolerant of other people's points of views and lifestyles and whatever and um and then Grant had also written extensively about the horrible conditions of the migrant workers who were used to build all the soccer stadiums over there. And when his last post was, was about that, because I guess a worker had died at a stadium. And so, so Grant's brother, Eric said, you know, he thought that that Grant had, had been murdered essentially. And it was not a, a natural causes, which I hope that's not true. That would be really dark. I mean, Grant had, had been having some health issues over there. He thought he had bronchitis or whatever. So I don't know about all that, but you know, I didn't go to the live event in Saudi Arabia, even though I wanted to, but various people in my life, including our colleague, Matt Janelle and others like felt strongly I shouldn't go because, um, you know, I've, I've been in sort of the front lines of all this live stuff and the, the Mickelson quotes and all of it. And I always felt like, oh, that's totally overblown. But, um, you know, I talked to some international businessmen types who've done a lot of work in, in Saudi Arabia. And my whole point was, Nothing. Live golf doesn't want anything to happen to me. That would make them look terrible. The MBS doesn't want. The, the, he's the host of this thing. I would like I'm. I'm probably the safest person in Saudi Arabia. But these guys who I spoke to who have been over there a lot. Said, well, there's actually these elements within the country that are working against MBS, and you know they're always looking for good targets to create. You know, it's like this rogue element. You know, you're the the state apparatus wants you to be okay, but you can't account for for you know fanatics and others with agendas, and so. It was like low probability, high high um, outcomes. So I wound up not making the trip. There was other reasons too, scheduling and everything else. But um, so that just gave me a little shudder. You know what, what what Grant's brother put out there publicly. If 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 in some way there was any kind of foul play because of what he had typed, it's like we'll never know the truth. We'll we'll never know that. And um, it was just like for me, it had some some resonance because I ultimately liked to not to make a trip over to that part of the world. And so. Anyway, 
Yeah. Was Walton uh, a golfer, Alan? No, he, no, he... He would actually. We got to get him. We got to hook him up with Michael Murphy. Like he, he. I could. I could see Bill Walton getting into that. The whole essence of of you know the the spiritual side of golf, which some believe in and 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 embrace, and others are 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 not so into, which is fine. But like they'd be fellow travelers for sure. And um, but to my to my knowledge, I don't think he's ever touched a club. Yeah. Um, he, uh, did you remember John Pappen? Uh, you would have known John Pappenack, I'm sure, Alan. I, uh, yeah, he, or maybe former, he gone by the time he arrived. Yeah, former managing editor at Sports Illustrated. He was gone before I got there, but I did meet him at, at, at um, was it Peter Carey's retirement? Some some function where a bunch of old SI folks got together. So I I met him. I know of him. What, what what's your story? Well, he uh, he used to tell a funny story about he was he was going to ghostwrite uh, Walton's memoir. And uh, and he and he told uh, John about how he uh, grew up without a TV, and Walton's like, "Wow, you grew up without a TV?" And Walton's like, "Yeah, we had no TV in our house." And then uh, Papanek is having a meal or something with uh, Walton's mother, and uh, and John says something like, "So what's the deal? You guys didn't have a TV growing up?" By the way, Ryan French did not have a TV growing up for a large number of years, long long period of time, and Mrs. Walton says. Uh, is John still telling that story? Of course we had a TV. <laughs> so then so then John goes back to Walton and says, Your mom says you had a TV. And and you know, to make a long story short, Walton's like, This is not gonna work out if you're actually gonna fact check me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. Just for the record, I, I actually didn't have a TV and it's been fact checked with both well, one parent can't really fact check, but one parent has in fact fact checked the fact that I the, the only I, I've tried to fact check it. You know, the dispute is whether it died. It definitely died during the Stanley Cup playoffs. The question yes. is, was it in the final or in the game preceding the final? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Ryan, all the controversial fact checking, Ryan's sending you to his dad at this point. He's like, yeah. check it with my dad. And keep your pants on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That, well, okay, so that that's from a story that be, that was told before we were taping. But Ryan, you did write a beautiful, uh, bittersweet piece for uh, FirePitCollective.com this week about your your father's ongoing battle with dementia, which is very heart wrenching, and all of us can relate but to on, my graph. But on that basis, let me just explain my joke without being too graphic. Yeah, Ryan's dad, whom I've met, who's a great guy, and by the way, looks so fit, he's going to go another thirty years. Uh, if he doesn't want to move, he's come up with a very effective way of like back off. Yeah. Nobody's gonna get, nobody's gonna move this guy away from where he wants to be. Yeah, yeah, Ryan, so my dad, was story. Having, yeah. yeah, my dad was having a, a bad day, and uh, when he has a bad day, we often take him to my house just to like take the stress off my mother. And he's like, I don't want to go. And uh, I said, Well, we have to go. And he pulled down his pants, underwear and everything. And I, it was highly effective. I mean, it was a highly effective way to not move anywhere. <laughs> so, I mean, well done, Dad. Yeah. For those who don't know, we'll, we'll save this for another time. But Ryan and his dad had a tradition when Ryan was much younger of they would, go, as, as many families go on camping trips, they would go on caddy camping trips. And uh, they would pitch tent and caddy in low-level events and 
and a lot of what Ryan does today professionally writing about dreamers in the game and Monday qualifiers and the rest come from his experiences uh, uh, with these caddy camping trips uh, with his dad. But let's save that for another time if that's okay. Yeah. Well, and Ryan's written about that beautifully, which is also on our website. Um, his origin story when the, the, the early days of the fire pit. Um, well, so I, I wanted to ask you about this, Ryan, since it's ostensibly as a golf podcast, we've gotten very far afield, which is fine. That's part of the charm of these, these fire drills. But, um, I, I missed it when it came out, but I just, I was floating on pjtour.com. Not sure why. And this announcement about the, the expanded pathway, the Japan tour, the top three finishers are now going to be exempt onto the Euro tour. And then the top 10 finishers on the Euro tour, as we know, are going to be exempt on the PGA tour. And so there is this, they have formalized this, um, this new way to reach the PGA tour. Do you think there's, there's any, any uh, grinders in your orbit? who will be like, you know what? I'm going to go play Japan. I'm going to finish top three. Then I'm going to go play Europe. I'm going to finish top 10. And that's the easiest way to get a tour card. Like, is that, is that a viable route? Yeah, I mean, um, more and more uh, guys have gone to Japan Tour Q School even before this announcement. Um, <clears throat> so if you're a pro golfer in the grinder mode and you don't have status, math doesn't doesn't ever add up or you would never be at a Monday qualifier, right? Like, it just doesn't. Like, reality is you're probably not going to get through. So, yes, 100% there will be players. Like, the odds of you going to Japan – Playing in a country you don't know very well, finishing top three, then going to Europe, a country you don't know, but 100%, there'll be a ton of players that do it. And they'll, that will be the carrot that put, you know, makes them go like, oh, Japan, I would have never gone before, but now I can get to the European tour. And so there I go. And I, I always wonder is a lot of the guys who go to Japan, uh, a lot of Australians go there. Uh, Brian Watts is probably the most famous American that absolutely dominated in japan for a long time uh they don't want to leave <laughs> so i would be really interesting to see what the three like it's a relatively short schedule you know it's a yeah it's very good money it's a obviously a smaller country so travel isn't difficult uh you know like it's there's a lot of good things going for the japan tour a lot of guys who go there don't want to leave <laughs> they are just very content playing 20 times a year in a very small country for good money and going home the the foreign the the foreign players that go over there and that and that's it so i remember um our, our colleague tom verducci at sports illustrated went over and did a, a brian watts feature he was already in japan uh for you know verducci of course is on the mount rushmore of baseball writers and he was doing a baseball story but it was like hey if you're there this is the early days of golf plus i think this was 94 could have been 95 but um and so he he did he did this story on on Brian Watts who he had had tremendous success over there and but what I, my takeaway and I haven't read the story now in a quarter century but it it seemed like a very kind of lonely life like he he did not integrate into the tour at all he was playing golf and he's in his hotel room and didn't learn the language didn't eat the food was you know subsisting on McDonald's and whatever else he could get and um, so that's an underrated aspect like. You know, golf golf talent travels. We know that, but there's plenty of guys who didn't feel comfortable in the U.S. Whether it was Seve Ballesteros or Angel Cabrera or you know many others, and they didn't play their best over here. And it it flows both ways. You, just because you're a really talented American golfer, 
not only there's the cultural stuff, there's the, the golf courses are different over there. The grasses are different, like all of it. So I've done stats on Ryan Watts because yeah, let's hear it. I think I've told Michael, this story is one of my moments of like how good pro golfers are. I was in high school and Brian Watts was behind this tree at the Buick open in Flint. And my dad and I were standing behind him. Obviously no one knew who Brian Watts was. So there's no fans around. And there's like a, a low-hanging tree in front of him. And I was like, well, is he going to hook it? Is he going to slice it? And no, he just hit a stinger right under it and like ran it up, you know, on the front of the green. And I was like, oh, that's very, you know, these guys are a different breed. Okay, here's my stat that I tweeted in October 20th, 2020. Anytime I'm on the Japan Tour site, it reminds me of American Brian Watts' career there. From 1993 to 1998, he had 12 wins, 12 runner-ups, and 63 top 10s. In just 124 events, like Tiger esque, yeah, it is. It's and, and he was a and he was and he lost in a playoff uh, in a British Open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he made that's that. Part, he made a great I'm, run. I'm guessing that's when uh, Verducci wrote about him. Could have been, yeah. I'd have to look that up, but it was, it's and that's really, where he came. And when he came back here, and he did okay here. I mean, never did anything great, but kept his card a, a few times for sure. Yeah, you, you know. You know who else in that same vein? Uh, Todd Hamilton played overseas for years. Uh, yeah, played well, Japan, Scott, played, Scott played the world. I mean, he was another one. Uh, John Garrity, he used to love writing about about yeah. Scott Dunlop. I mean, but of course, I would have, and you you would know better, Ryan. I mean, I'm sure the the competition and the depth is is gotten um, is it certainly become. Um, more real and 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 more cutthroat on on every tour so of course it's going to happen in japan but i do remember there was sort of these protectionist uh rules it was hard in 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 those days in the 90s to get on the japan tour if you were not japanese how how much has it opened up since then i mean not a ton i think there are still rules in place that only x amount of uh foreign players can be in a field at a time i'll have to confirm that but for a long time there was only like x amount of players that that could be outside of japan so um, yeah, I mean, a lot of players don't get from from that standpoint. Uh, Chan Kim was an All American at uh, at Arizona State, has won a bunch on the Japan Tour, and got through Q School this year. He was like top hundred player in the world. I think he had like a top twenty five in the PGA even last year, and uh, have, have got his Corn Ferry status. So it's always it's always interesting to see. Like he's obviously does very well on the Japan Tour. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, what he does on the Corn Ferry Tour. And I love smokers, and Chan Kim is a legendary smoker. That dude sucks down the vape pen. I mean, sucks it down. Well, there's a like a communal aspect. Like the smokers, like they stick together. They're always looking for a freaking match or a lighter. Yeah. It just seems like there's more of a hang. But what's, so what's interesting, I have, I have teenage kids, and, um, you know, the vape pens are everywhere, and I'm always lecturing them. And, um, one thing, one thing I picked up from them is they would never, no one their age would ever smoke a cigarette. They're appalled by the idea of cigarettes. Like they're dirty, they taste bad, your hair smells. Like the vape pens are one thing which I don't support. I'd like to go on record with that. But the, um, like America's youth is not down for cigarettes. They're just like, um, so I guess that's progress, right? I mean, as I understand it, it's the, it's the actual, this, it's the smoking that causes the cancer. The vape pens reduce that drastically. So maybe this is some sort of progress, but everyone's getting hooked on vape pens. I don't know. 
I think if you ask Rory McIlroy, what's the most significant development in his life in, let's say, the past 10 years, I'm sure he would cite his marriage and the birth of his his daughter, you know, first and second. But I would guess, I don't know this, but I would guess he would cite third as, uh, he would cite as third his father's decision uh, to quit smoking. Uh, his father was a barman and, you know, like a lot of bar people in all countries, but especially in uh in in Ireland in Northern Ireland uh, was was a heavy smoker and uh, um, he looks great Jerry McElroy, uh and I know we, well we've talked about Jerry and I've talked about a little bit about uh, what an improvement in his life the other day I was laughed out of a room we were talking about uh, uh, societal developments uh, you know in our lifetime I once asked my father in law what, what's the greatest invention of of your lifetime he was he was witty in a dry way and he said. Uh, the automatic garage door opener. <laughs> great, great answer. But That's I would great. say, you know, these over any flight, uh, you know, now, well, yeah, I don't know if you guys remember this, but of course there used to be smoking sections and planes. And it was a joke because it's not like there was a partition. <laughs> Smoke just moved all over. The, your clothes just, especially on an overseas flight, you know, you're on the plane for eight hours. You just stank by the time you came off. So anyway, I, I so in in the tradition of my uh, my father-in-law and his overhead garage door opener, I cited uh, smoke-free uh, plane travel. And uh, I was laughed out of the room, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Quickly, be I, I like people are leaving Alan's house at this point, so maybe it's time to wrap up. But uh, quickly, uh, next week I will be playing uh, on Friday. I'll be playing Shadow Creek, the very exclusive and cool, nice Shadow Creek. Uh, and uh, thank you, Mark Baldwin, for getting a sponsorship that you now have to give to your friends because you have credit and you can't use it all. Ryan, is it actually exclusive or is it more the case of if you pay know. enough money at, you know, one of the casinos, you can get on it? Yeah, probably that. Probably yeah. It's, that. The, it's the latter, but um, still a cool, that'll be a cool experience. I've, I've never played shadow Creek. I mean, it's, it's so man-made. I mean, yes. it's, it's, I was there for match one. Have you been on I've never been on the grounds. I've seen all the photos. It, it's a good golf course. It's yeah. a sh- I mean, for me, that's a shocker to admit. That is. But uh, if you didn't know where you were and you just saw the golf course, wow, this place is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, Arnold Palmer never won a major after he quit smoking. So um, I think we should just just for just for our friends in the in the industry, we should offer a little balance to this conversation. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of know what Ryan's talking about because it's definitely one of the cool sites from one of Crenshaw's wins uh, at Augusta. He's, he, I think he's going down 10 and and, he, and he's cupping the cigarette. The cup. Yeah. yeah. Like nobody can see him. I know the like, cup. And we see the smoke coming up out of your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder if anyone, any golfer ever like ended their career by singeing their fingers, trying to yeah. cup a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so ridiculous. Of course, back in the day, they would, they, the caddies would put the cigarette up to see which way the wind was blowing. Yeah. There you go. That, yeah, that's the, old school. Yeah, back to back to Chan Kim. He does the same thing. He holds his vape pen, you know, like this, and then takes it away. And then this, all I know about vape pens is it produces a, a massive amount of smoke blowing out. And it's like he just blows this humongous cloud out. And you're like, hey, Chan, you might as well just like you don't have to hide the vape pen because it's kind of your cover's blown <laughs> after you. Ryan, does he do that? What tours does he do that on? 
Any two. I've, I, I, the first time I saw him, and I had heard about it, but the first time I saw him was at a Monday qualifier uh, for the waste management. So can you do? Can you? Can you smoke a vape pen on a PJ in a PJ Tour event? Then I mean, he was. I don't know. Sorry, Chan, if you're getting suspended for that. I don't think smoke is the right verb, Michael. I think you could hit the vape pen. Yeah, thank That's you. That's what the kids yeah. say. That's, That's what, what the kids say. say. I'm just, I'm just trying to help. If you try to light the vape pen, the plastic will melt. It'll be a mess. I, yeah, it's cartridges. <laughs> it's cartridges, Michael. If you believe that, it's <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, yeah. it's killing everyone. The okay. the fire drill podcast sponsored by Jewel. Um, but anyway, <laughs> As no, we all hit our vape pen. Um, Boom. <laughs> okay, I think it's time to end this podcast. But um, speaking of Ryan's family, here's some really good reading, and I'm not. Oh, being look facetious. at that. My God. It's called Notes from the North Country, and the writer is O.B. Eustace. O.B. Eustace is Ryan's maternal grandfather. I don't know if I don't know if the camera will pick up on this. Everybody Move it to your right. right. There, there you there go. There it is. There's Gramps. You see oh, I love it. Similarity. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Out, That's Yuri, actually. The, the, this Obi Eustace is like, you know, Thoreau meets E.B. White. I mean, it's really clean, tight, no profanity. Uh, <laughs> but the writing gene is the writing gene. I, uh, Ew, oh, got to add one thing. And then Ryan had a, an aunt, uh, his Obi Eustace's daughter, daughter, and yeah. she could write her bottom off, if I may yeah. use that word. Um, anyway, all right. Well, this has been a, a fire drill podcast like a few others, but wow. admittedly, it was a slow week in golf. Maybe we'll come back. Well, next week, we'll have the father-son and more Tiger and Charlie and everything else to um, to kick around. And I actually like the father-son. I, beyond that aspect, it, it's cool to see all these kids, you know, and how much it means to them. Like I was, I was talking to Stuart Sink. And he's tre- his, he's playing with his son, and they're treating it like the fifth major, man. It means a lot to them. I think it's really cute. And um, so that that's a good one. But maybe we'll have, we'll do something thematic for our the ensuing weeks. Will be the last fire drill of the year. But un- until then, the listeners are going to just have to go on this journey with us to the unexpected places this podcast goes. <laughs> any any night, parting guys. thoughts? Yeah, uh, that was great. I mean, you know, I love derailments. I love derailments. And this was full blown derailment. Outside of the first eight minutes, I don't think we talked about golf. And it's great. And I love it. I love to listen to you guys. And uh, I was one. I, I love this. Movie one theater. last story before we go, because Michael and I, we both love the movies. And um, and we were at. Let's see, we're in Milwaukee. So it was one of the PGA championships at Whistling Straits and straight out of Compton had just opened. And uh, I was like, we got to go see this on the big screen. And we went and uh, in downtown Milwaukee, it was an amazing crowd. The energy was phenomenal. Um, and we uh, that's one of the more memorable visits to the cinema we've had. Uh, but there's there's been a bunch of them. I was really struck by how good the music was in that's music that I'd heard a lot as people do just, you know, in an ambient kind of way in a car or whatever. And it never made an impression on me. And in that setting, as you were saying, the energy of of the audience uh, and a lot of things going going on, uh, the tenor of the times, but the music really made a, a powerful impact on me. I'm totally with these. You know, I know Ryan's got a thing going about virtual golf and is that is that the phrase right not virtual golf but yeah is that what they say? So. well track sure. man. yeah yeah yeah, track yeah man. and you know possibly qualifying for a corn ferry event for, via virtual golf 
whatever. There is nothing like experience of seeing Tiger Woods in person. If anybody can, I would suggest they do it while they can. Any any elite golfer to see what they do with the golf ball. Just like Ryan was talking about before about Brian Watts under over. How about through? You know, see live golf if you can. And of course, there's nothing like going to a movie theater. Absolutely nothing. Okay, just on a side note, and and Michael, as Michael would say, may if I may, Alan, uh, if I may, uh, gentlemen, as a colleague, but mostly as a fan, can you just write the story of going to see Straight Outta Compton? Because obviously, there's more to it, and there's a lot of layers, and I can I sensed that yeah. there was a ton going on. So could you like just get together, get your memories together and write like a maybe, quick maybe like two thousand word story on it because it sounds amazing. It was. I, I will say this, like if, if you remember in the movie I don't know if you've seen it, Ryan. I don't know how many of our listeners right. have seen it, but of course, NWA, they, they, ha- they have the, the, the song, fuck the police and they get letters from the FBI and, um, and all this stuff. And they go to play a concert. I believe it was in Philadelphia, actually, Michael. And before the concert, um, the, there's all these old white police officers and they're lecturing all, all these dudes in the band saying, if you know, if, if you play that song, we're going to arrest you. And it's, right. it's very sort of the, in some ways, the, the climactic moment of the movie. And so it's mid concert and, and Dre and easy are looking at each other and they're just looking at each other. Like they're just looking like, should we? And it just, the moment like builds and builds, should we? Should we? I don't know. Should we? And then and they just launch into the song. And I find that extremely inspiring. And it probably informs my own, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I, again, like, I want to know everything. Like, yeah. Two Jewish gentlemen walking into a <laughs> straight out of Compton. Downtown like, Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, oh, downtown Milwaukee. I need to know everything about it. And we could do a yeah. podcast on just that. Just, just that. that. No, but I think about that little moment, and of course it's stylized, and who knows if it actually happened in in reality. But that moment in the movie, like you know, because you get to these forks in the road as writers, and even like the the Mickelson excerpt mm-hmm. from my book that like touched off all kinds of stuff because you know we're a startup, we were not a giant operation. I had to press the publish button on that story. And I literally hovered the cursor over that for a minute, not a minute, 10 seconds. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't know it was going to get as crazy as it got, but I knew as soon as that story went live, that things were going to start happening. And I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, right, boom. No, no question. And it was like, like it was that in a microcosm, like it was that moment. So, mm-hmm. um, I think about that that movie that scene a lot. So it's anyway. really neat. Okay, maybe, maybe it's ten thousand lives are going to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we've tried to end this podcast like seven times. I think we should actually end it. If but, I may, um, right. Just <laughs> 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 the, the listeners are going to learn to dread that phrase. <laughs> they're probably sitting in a parking lot somewhere. They have something to do, but they're trying to get yeah. into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. oh, no, oh, if I may, shit. no. Uh, anyway, especially if, if they have that thing like I have, like if there's a good song on and you get to your destination, you can't. You cannot leave the car until yeah, the right. song. I had it just last night. You can't leave the car until the song is completed. <laughs> so if they're listening to the pod and they Sorry. like it in the car, yeah. you can't. Of course, <laughs> these days people just go from one device to another, so it's not so difficult. I guess I'm dating myself, but anyway, yeah. That's Typically. thank you for sharing that, Alan. That was very interesting. This is Alan Shipnick. That was Michael Bamber and Ryan French. This was a fire drill. We do them every Sunday. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate your um, your fidelity and your indulgence. We will be back at it next week. We have the father, son, and various other things to talk about. So until then, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.
stayed the wind Made a fortune when my ship came in I ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Looking for a better solution to keep your firearms in high-performance condition? Visit RiptideArmory.com for the most advanced proprietary gun cleaning formula on the market. Right now, get up to $40 off any cleaning kit for a limited time on RiptideArmory.com and take advantage of this amazing deal today. Riptide's two-step cleaning kit offers state-of-the-art technology and guaranteed satisfaction. Riptide Armory is a veteran-founded business, and you can trust that all chemicals are American-made and quality-tested. Shop RiptideArmory.com. 